Blog Talk Radio. This is Lori LeBay, the host of Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, and I'm thrilled to have you with us today. We're going to have a brilliant show. Our first half, we're going to be talking with Chris Wynn, who is a filmmaker, and uh, he's going to be telling us about his new project. In the second half, we're going to have uh, Molly Meyer with us, who is a poet and who does some really cool stuff with uh, her company called Minds Eye Poetry for people with dementia. So before I introduce uh, our guests, though, I always like to uh, let our listeners uh, know a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks, because not everybody is familiar with us. You might be one of those first-timers out there uh, listening to the show, and so I want to make sure that you... uh, you know, who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. Bottom line, Alzheimer's Speaks is an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort. The reason I developed the company is uh, my own mother lived with this disease for 30 years, and I found it just uh, incredibly frustrating um, to be able to maneuver and find support and people who um, who you could actually talk to um, services and products that would be helpful to live well with the disease. And so Alzheimer's Speaks is about sharing knowledge and raising everyone's voice from those who are actually diagnosed to those family and uh, loved ones caring for someone with the diagnosis uh, to business professionals, authors, writers, film directors, researchers, advocates, everybody's voice, I believe, needs to be heard. And so that's what we try to do on all of our platforms. By joining forces and sharing knowledge, we really think um, that we can have an everyday conversation about life with dementia, which will remove the stigmas attached to memory loss and isolate so many people in our world today. We really feel that everyone needs to understand the true needs of this disease and um, together remove that fear. And, and pull family and friends and communities back together as a whole. At our core, Alzheimer Speaks believe, believes that collaboratively we're going to win this battle. And we know that we're making a huge impact because we had the honor of being named the number one influencer online for Alzheimer's um, according to ShareCare, which is the largest health and wellness website in the world, and Dr. Oz, who everybody knows who Dr. Oz is. And we didn't do that alone. That was through your likes, your shares, your tweets, um, you know, sharing things with your Google circles, with your LinkedIn groups, uh, your Facebook fans. Uh, It makes a difference because we never know who's dealing with this disease because so many people 
keep silent about it. So the more information we can push out and it can be available to them, the easier it's going to be for them to reach out and grab the information when they need it. Now, the way our show works, it's uh, very casual, very open conversation. So we would love for you to call in and join the conversation. If you have comments or questions for our guests, please, please don't hesitate to call in at 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. Or you can always use the chat box because I will be monitoring that as well. And we would uh, we would love to have you join the conversation. Again, <clears throat> none of us has all the answers. It's very important for us to work together as a team. Um, I also want to just do some highlights for a, a few organizations that I think are really important for people to know about. Um, one is Alzheimer's Disease International. They are the organization of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. And so... If you're looking for a support group or information in your area, they are a fabulous resource. Again, just Google Alzheimer's Disease International. Um, or um, HealthStar Home Health is a wonderful home health uh, care company that has actually been um, certified as what they call an Alzheimer's Whisper. So they've gone through some specific training to deal with dementia, and they just have a great heart and soul, the, the company. I, I've been really impressed with them. If you're looking for a holistic approach, the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation is a great, great resource. There you'll find things on on food and diet, exercise, meditation, um, but pretty powerful things. They do some free educational uh, webinars and teleseminars and uh, memory screenings, all kinds of stuff. So check out Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation as well. And then many people are dealing with specific specific types of dementia. There's Alzheimer's, and we've already mentioned the Alzheimer's Association, but there's also Lewy body dementia and frontal temporal lobe dementia, which are really common types of dementia. Each of those has their own organization, um, national organization, and you will be able to find um, great resources there. The other issue that people run into is what's called aphasia, and that can be when people have a difficulty uh, talking and, and using words. And the National Aphasia Association can be a great support to oh so many people. When it comes to actually engaging people, um, there are a, a few companies here I'll, I'll just highlight as well. Um, the first is Alzheimer's Music Connect. They have come up with a new patent-pending um, technology which takes music and heightens it um, so that people can, you know, pulls out this engagement um, in them. Not only do they connect to the music, but afterwards uh, to people. It's pretty pretty powerful stuff. So check out Alzheimer's Music Connect. They have a brand new holiday CD that they just released called Memories, the Songs and Spirits of Christmas, which is fabulous. Um, we had them on the show recently, and um, uh, you can hear some of the samples if you go to their website or, <clears throat> or on our past archive show as well. Puzzle With Me was created by a daughter who had a mother who had dementia and was looking for 
puzzles for her to be able to work on. She liked she liked being able to um, do puzzles prior to dementia, but the the puzzles that were out there for adults were too small and too many pieces, and so she created something. Um, much more appropriate for people dealing with dementia and um, age-appropriate pictures, um, bigger, thicker sizes, and fewer pieces. And then Jiminy Wicket, which is so close to my heart, is a um, intergenerational croquet game that can be used in schools and uh, for education, and, and then the students can also be matched up with people with dementia. So, um, and anybody um, can do this if they're in a wheelchair, you know, they don't have to walk, they don't have to be able to talk, um, but they can still engage and have a lot of fun. So, those are just some of my my favorites that I just think really, really highly of, and I, I would like people to <clears throat> to know about those. I also have them listed um, at the bottom of my website, too. So, if you don't want to Google, uh, just go to the bottom of the website and click on their their little logo, and you'll get right to them. Let's go ahead and um, let me introduce you to Chris Wynn. Um, Chris has been on the show with us before, um, and he is just a brilliant filmmaker. His career uh, was in, in uh, production assistant on commercials and music videos in Toronto, and he quickly decided to move into post-production, and he became an assistant editor. Uh, Chris moved to Montreal back in uh, 2002 uh, to begin to document his own father's struggle with Alzheimer's. And he he turned that into a uh, feature documentary for TiVo called Forgetful, Not Forgotten. And for the past five years, he's traveled across Canada and the U.S. presenting his film and talking about his experience with Alzheimer's. Chris just finished an educational video series about dementia for the University of Waterloo, and he's currently working on another feature documentary project about younger caregivers dealing with a parent with early-onset Alzheimer's, which is going to be titled Much Too Young. So, Chris, it's so nice to have you back with us. How are you doing today? I'm good, Lori. Thank you so much for having me. I really, I really appreciate this. Well, I'm I'm thrilled to have you here. Your your work is very powerful. You know, I remember when you first pushed out um, "Forgetful, Not Forgotten" and the response it got. People were so touched by it, and um, you know, sharing these personal journeys and this, you know, you share such a, a vulnerable side any of us do that are on this path that choose to share um it's it's almost impossible not to be touched um you know by your work so what made you um well let me start here with your own family i'm sure you saw that there were some ripple effects of this disease it's not just a diagnosis and everybody goes off running carrying on their regular life what what happened in your family? What kinds of things did you see? Well, um, you know, it obviously, um, I think like this is going back to when my father was diagnosed in 1999. And, you know, we didn't, we had heard of the word Alzheimer's, but like most families, we really didn't know what was involved or um, what was going to happen. And we, you know, I think today there's a lot of better resources and, you know, the Alzheimer's Association or the Alzheimer's Society here in Canada does a really great job. But back 
you know, then we just didn't know where to turn and, and, and didn't didn't know what to expect and stuff. So obviously we leaned on each other a lot and we kind of learned as we went. Um, but obviously it had affected, affected us immensely. I mean, uh, to be honest with you, you know, it changed my life. Um, first of all, First and foremost, I had to. I moved cities. Now, this was all my choice to go back and, and help my mother with my father because they were living in a very small rural uh, cottage country, and there was really no help at all for my mother. And this is when my father was, you know, becoming in the middle stages and, and needed, you know, couldn't be left alone for ten minutes. So I really took it upon myself to to move back there and and giving up, you know, a job, a good job that I had, and, and an apartment and stuff, and, and feeling like I was sort of putting parts of my life or, or, or my life at that point on hold um, to become a younger caregiver, you know, in my early 30s um, and living with them for a year and really just, you know, work-wise, I didn't work for a year. Uh, socially, I had some friends, uh, you know, that I went out with rarely, maybe once a month. Um, so, you know, obviously it really, uh, I almost felt, and even for career-wise, where I was working in Toronto, I felt the company I was with, I was really moving up and could have stayed with them, but this was really a step back. I almost had to start, you know, taking a year off and then looking for work again uh, after that. You know, it was almost like I took a step back. So, you know, I can't speak for my brother and sister, but obviously for, for myself, it really changed my life for sure. Wow. Um, and have you seen that in other families that you talk to? Yeah, um, that's it's a huge um, statement that a lot of these young caregivers now that I'm documenting, you know, not obviously everyone has a different story and everyone's at a different stage. It, you know, the person with uh, Alzheimer's or dementia and even the young caregiver, everyone's at a different stage in their life uh, and everyone's story is different. But I hear that a lot that, you know, putting some part of their life on hold, um, they feel like, you know, they have a, a responsibility, um, you know, to, to be home, to help out at home. And they can't always go out with friends on Friday night or go away for the weekend or even work-wise, you know, it's like, well, I can't, you know, work late these nights because I have to give, you know, my father a break with my mother who has early onset. So um, I, I definitely hear that uh, a lot from 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 the young caregivers that I'm documenting now. Yeah, I I can only imagine. I mean, I you know, my mom, um, you know, got the disease in her mid-50s and um, died when she was 86, and I'm 55 now. So, you know, I guess I was a young caregiver and didn't really, I mean, we didn't even use that term back then. Yeah. We didn't know about, about you know, early it's, onset. It's, it's interesting because the term young caregiver isn't really, here in North America, in Canada and in the U.S., um, it's, not, it's only been around or been used in the last few years. Well, overseas in, in the UK, it's the term young caregiver has been around for a long time, and they are actually, you know, organizations that help support young caregivers, where I know in Canada, only like three of them, and now this is dealing with any kind of young caregiver, it's not just Alzheimer's or dementia, you know, it's whether, you know, you have a parent with a, a disability or a brother or sister, so it's a relatively in, a new term that's starting to get some more recognition, because I think a lot of families like you said, don't even know. Like It's just something that they deal with, and it's just the way it is. And um, I think the main uh, thing is that I've heard as well is that there's really not a lot of support groups for young caregivers. I mean, mm -hmm. I, some of the some of the people that I've talked to said, oh, yeah, I went to a, a support group, but everybody was in, you know, 
their mid fifties or, or sixties, and here I am, you know, twenty five, and no one can really relate to it. So, um, and I think there, these people, a lot of these people say to me too, they just like, it'd be great to talk to someone else who's going through mm-hmm. it. And I think that's, you know, obviously the statement for a lot of caregivers. It's you always feel alone, and you're the only one that's, you know, going through this, or your family's the only one going through it. But um, it's the same with a younger caregiver, you know, kids in their early twenties, mid twenties, even teenagers. Um, saying mm-hmm. like I can't I don't even know how to tell my friends you know that my mother uh, has early onset because they just don't understand so you know I'm trying to create this project in this film but it will be you know like with my first film it will be a, a project that will hopefully have mass appeal but it will also ha- um, you know have new media like you know a, a place where um these young caregivers can meet and talk uh, online, and so I'm in I'm in talks with a few different organizations to to try to do that. But that's, that's you know, I, just to tell you why why I think I'm doing this project is you know, um, as you mentioned before, when Forgetful Not Forgotten came out and it played on television, I was asked to you know travel around and uh, mainly through the Alzheimer's Society here in Canada to present the film and then talk about my experiences, which was you know it was a really great experience for me and. It, I felt like it was sort of like a healing process as well, sharing my story uh, with my dad. And if you do see Forgetful Not Forgotten or if you have seen it, I don't really touch on myself, how it affects me as a young caregiver. So that's obviously one reason that I want to do this project. But really, when I did those presentations, and you know, I'd stand in front of a crowd and it'd be anywhere from 20 to maybe 100 people, and there was never any young kids and nobody under 40 in the audience. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why, um, you know, kids, why, if I'm 25, why would I want to go watch a, a documentary about Alzheimer's? Because, you know, people still think of Alzheimer's, you know, as people getting it when they're older. And it's true. I, I, I know there's still, you know, the, the major percentage of people that get these types of diseases are over 65, but we all know that there is a lot more getting it under 65. So, you know, I started to talk to different people at different chapters of the Alzheimer's Society, and they all said the same thing, and they're still saying that today, that, you know, and I'm sure it's the same in the U.S., it's like we need to somehow, you know, educate younger people about this disease, because really, they're the next, you know, they're the caregivers waiting in line, or they're the next generation that's, you know, either going to get this disease or have to deal with this disease. So that's why I thought, if I can create a project that focuses on younger people, younger caregivers, then a younger demographic or a younger generation will be more inclined to want to watch it because it's people their own age. Um, So that's how I came up with the idea. Now, this new project has got nothing to do with me. I'm just behind the camera, and, you know, I'm documenting uh, a number of different families um, but the ages range anywhere from, you know, late teens up to early 30s. And, again, these, these children are all in different stages. Some are just finishing university. Some are trying to get their career going. Obviously, social life is a, is a big part. So, you know, there's different things to document, but that's actually what I'm really focusing on as well is just the young caregivers. I'm not really focusing on the disease itself, the stages of the diseases. You know, uh, there's a lot of great projects, even aside from my first film, that that does a great job of explaining, you know, um, uh, what Alzheimer's and dementia is. And I just really feel like I just need to put a project out there um, 
that would appeal to younger generation uh, in a different way. So I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm trying to approach the subject from, from a different angle to try to tell a different story and try to show, like you said, that ripple effect that, yes, you know, it hits the person with the disease the hardest and the primary caregiver, but little did the general public know that it also affects, you know, the children in this way or that way. And, you know, and it's also... Uh, a way to show that these kids are actually engaged, that they are there, they're helping out, they're a part of it, they want to be a part of it. A lot of these kids say, you know what, my mother and my father helped me my whole life, so this is like the least I can do for them, is to help them out. Um, because I think a lot of kids need to see that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, maybe families who are newly diagnosed and, and kids don't know where to turn, like I said, because there are no support groups. Well, maybe this will be, you know, a project that they can watch and say, wow, you know, these kids stepped up to help out and that's what I need to do. So, I mean, there's many different aspects of it. And, you know, like I said, I'm still uh, in the in the production side of it. Um, and who knows what the final project will look like. But that's uh, that's my main goal. And again, the main goal of this project much too young is not to show, you know, okay, this is what a young caregiver does. Like, okay, they help them get dressed, they feed them. Obviously that's going to be a part of it, but the, the main um, message, I guess, is just how it affects them, what affects them in their daily life. Uh, like I said, you know, work wise, socially, um, because again, a lot of them, like I said before, feel like they're putting at least a portion of their life on hold to, to help out with, with a parent. Mm-hmm. Well, very, very much so. Now, in terms of your filming, is this going to be, um, are, are these people all going to be in Canada? Are you going kind of around the world on this? Or is it um, just a specific, um, you know, even city? Um, how are you How are you finding your people to work with? It, you know, it, it's, it started off um, through chapters of the Alzheimer's Society here. I, in, uh, I live in Montreal, but um, I have uh, deep connections in Toronto. So I started looking um, through there, and um, I found a great organization in Toronto and this group group of girls, and they started their own charity um, called Memory Ball. started their own group called Memory Ball, and they put on a, a yearly uh, a charity event, and they raise money for the Alzheimer's Society of Toronto. So I met them back in January. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of them have agreed to be in the project. And really, actually, um, you know, because I've started this um, uh, crowdfunding campaign to just try to raise some money for the project, I've actually discovered more families, and this is only in the last month, uh, more families contacting me uh, to be part of the project. Now, you know, these projects, I, you know, it's tough to say, but they don't have wide appeal um, and for, so to get this project kind of going, you know, it's it's uh, to get funding for it. It's it, like I said, a, a crowdfunding campaign or money out of my pocket. That's the way to get going. So unfortunately, at this point, I I would love to you know travel around the world to talk to people, and maybe it'll get to that point. But right now, I have to keep it local because that's really all I can afford uh, <laughs> to do. Um, but needless to say, you know, if I just create so right now, sorry, um, you know, in the in the city of Toronto, there's two families, and then in the surrounding area, there's another three or four, and I'm still in talks with a, a couple more. So you know, I, to, for the end of project, I'm I'm hoping, um, you know, only a handful of stories really. Uh, but what I plan to do uh, after the film is done, again, you know, 
maybe create more on, uh, an online platform for more families, and then maybe it can go international. Um, because I have been in touch with, you know, uh, a few organizations in the U.S. through the Alzheimer's Association, the Young Champions, and uh, you know, a few other uh, great organizations as well. And I know they're out there. Um, and I also needed to find, now I had found some younger caregivers where it was sort of in the past for them, where they said, you know, I took care of my mother or father, you know, 10 years ago. And, you know, everyone's got a great story, but to, to be effective, I need to, to document something that's happening right now. Um, mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, it, it's not always easy for families. Uh, I, I did it um, to let, you know, to, to expose what you've been through or, or on camera or in a book or whatever. So, you know, some families have come on board, some families have dropped out, and I respect that. You know, I, I, I'm trying to tell um, the truth, and I'm trying to um, tell some, you know, interesting stories. But, you know, if a family doesn't want to be a part of it, then that's their decision. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, getting back to your main question, obviously I would love to this project to be as big as possible and have, you know, families from the U.S. and families from the U.K. or wherever um, tell their stories. But unfortunately, at this point, it's it's mainly in, in and around the Toronto area. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be economical. Everyone thinks yeah. that there's, everybody's getting paid big money and there's so many of us um, doing stuff just out of our own pocket. Yeah. Um, and uh, and people are kind of shocked because everybody thinks that, well, you know, either the society or the association or yeah. you know the foundation is is backing this, and you know there's just not enough funds um, to do yeah. all of that, and so it's it's important um, for that to be recognized as well, and you know it would be nice if if our governments would uh, would fund more not just yeah. for research but for um for kind of that that social comfort too um both sure. in resources and um and and different types of media like you're producing um that can give education and then bring a sense of, of comfort and normality um to yeah. what people are going through because i think that's a huge huge piece um within yeah. that well i'm lucky oh. enough that um uh, you know the the different chapters because of again of my of my dad's film and, and me traveling around that I made a lot of great connections at different chapters. Again, here in Canada, I only came down to the U.S. a few times, um, but I have some great contacts as well. But I'm lucky enough that a lot of the different different chapters of the Alzheimer's Society in in Ontario and and across Canada are helping to support this new project. Um, meaning that you know Twitter and, and Facebook and getting the word out there, and it's actually how I found a, a couple of the new families. So I'm very happy to ha have them on board. And, you know, I'm happy to, and again, a lot of them use, and even uh, chapters of the Alzheimer's Association in the U.S., I know that they have Forgetful Not Forgotten on file, and, you know, some people actually use it as a, a learning or a teaching tool, you know, different aspects of the film. So I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this film will, will have that, um, you know, will, will be the same, and, and people can use it as well. So uh, that's all I can really ask from you know, the Alzheimer's Society right now is is just to help support the project and get the word out there. Because, again, you know, this, this campaign that I've started, yes, I am trying to raise some money, but it's more than that. It's trying to create a community, you know, people talking that this project is out there. Again, it's how I found some new families. So it's really about also starting a, a conversation uh, about this project and about young caregivers in general. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, <clears throat> you know, I'm glad that you're you're out there doing what you're doing because I think it's a huge, 
huge need. I, it would it would even be nice if uh, if a college or you know high school mm-hmm. um, you know would get behind something like this because it would be so educational for even junior high and high school students. Um, yeah. You know they're they're always looking for curriculum. Um, yep. in this area and, and this would be perfect to be able to have their voices heard and and maybe with that ignite some support groups for it too i know when i've gone into the schools you know they, there's a lot of them dealing with this um yeah. and but it's it's just um it's such a quiet thing and people are so embarrassed i had one young girl who watched our um Dementia Chats, which which is a webinar platform that's free to anybody, and our experts are people with dementia, and Mm -hmm. she just broke down crying because she couldn't understand why, um, you know, I shouldn't say she couldn't understand, she realized why her grandpa was acting, you know, the way that he was. And mm-hmm. it was just um, an absolutely incredible thing. And she went to school the next day and talked to a girlfriend and found that her girlfriend was dealing with a grandparent as well. But they right. had best friends, never talked about it. Yeah. yeah. And then, well, that's, then they, yeah. They, they went into their principal and then asked about, you know, getting a, a support group started, which was just again, an incredible thing that was just ignited by just viewing something. And I think that's mm-hmm. what your films, you know, will do for people is get them talking, getting them passionate um, to really make a difference and, and find creative ways to to be able to, you know, give hope and, and yeah. support people. Yeah. So, and, you know, that, that that's such an important point because you know i did i remember doing presentations and, and families coming up to me or or parents saying you know i have children but they're just not engaged and, and you know they're not helping and stuff and how how do i get them to help and you know i said that exactly i said you know we, you know watch try to <clears throat> watch another project where you know kids are engaged so i'm hoping that this this project uh can maybe do that and and, and get a conversation going and start support groups and you know do do all that and i would love to you're right i mean when i did presentations in here in canada you know it was always through the chapters and they would you know it was great and everything but i said can we get into some high schools or some you know universities and i i did a few but it would've been would've been great to um get into more and i i would definitely love to do that so that's 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 a definitely huge possibility for sure yeah it's you know it would be something that because, uh, like I said, they're always looking, you know, for someone to speak on this. And who better to speak on it but but kids that are going through it, you know, yep. young adults yep. um, that are in the trenches with it. I mean, that would be a really great conversation starter on so many levels um, that would be mm-hmm. really, really very, very powerful. Um, yep. The other thing that I found was that, you know, in talking with the kids, and I don't know if this would be helpful in, in, for you in future pitches and stuff when you're discussing um, things, but one of the things that, that I heard every time I went to the schools and was talking about this is it came out that the families um, a lot of times were protecting the kids from the disease, so they didn't share mm-hmm. what was going right. on, which made the kids feel even more isolated you know, they kind of lost uh, their position in the pecking order in the family because priorities changed. Now they're caring for right. somebody, and they don't really even know all the details of it. And um, mm-hmm. all all in the name of, of love and protection. 
and it really isn't doing either. You know, right, it's right. making making the kids feel more <clears throat> more isolated, more alone, and um, and so many times they said we want to help, but they they won't let us. You know, they mm-hmm. don't they don't trust that we can um, or that we'll understand, but we don't really even know what's going on. We just know our family's a mess right now. And yeah. and they know that they're part of that mess, and they and they want to be there to support. So we have to allow them in too. So it's um, and and I can I can see how that happens very, very very easily, you know, with with families. I, I'm sure it happened in my own family without even knowing mm-hmm. we were doing it, you know, yeah. because you just um, you don't dial in because um, you just don't have time, you know to yeah, dial yeah. in and, and look at how everything's affecting everything. Can you <clears throat> can you talk a little bit more about young uh caregivers of of you know, dealing with uh caring for somebody with early onset um dementia and, and give us some some more examples of how they're affected. I know you said that they might not be able to go out on a Friday night and and things, but <clears throat> are there some other things that you can share with us as well? Yeah, um, you know, for um, a couple of these uh, young caregivers, I mean, uh, a lot of them are um, out of university now. And, uh, you know, when you're first out of university, you're obviously looking for more than just a job. You're looking for a career. You're not just looking for, um, you know, work at the local restaurant or the the shop in the mall. You want to work, you know, um, in your field. Um, But I find that some of these young caregivers can't do that right away, and they do end up moving home, like a lot of kids do after university, moving home. But to them, moving home is not like, you know, when you're out of university, you move home. You say, okay, I'm only here for a couple months, and then I'll get, you know, my own apartment. A lot of these kids are like, I'm home, and I'm here for years. I'm here for the next two, three years because I feel that I need to be. And I can't go... And, you know, um, uh, maybe in the next six months or a year, I'll, I'll really start looking for a career job. But right now, I am going to go work at that restaurant um, just to make some money on the side, but be flexible enough that I can be home, um, you know, to help with my mom and dad. So that's that's something that I've, I've definitely heard a lot. So that flexibility, it's tough for, you know, a 20-year-old um, or, you know, in your mid-20s because, you know, you are trying to get your career going and 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 going away uh, on weekends and stuff like that. So um, that's definitely something that I've heard a lot about. Um, definitely the sharing thing uh, as well, because they just don't have other friends that are going through it. That a lot of the times they don't share. Um, they keep it to themselves and stuff like that. And you know, they just people don't come over to their house or whatever, or they they are you know they all just go over to other friends' houses. So. Um, you know, there's many aspects of it. They really feel um, a lot of them have uh, siblings, like, you know, I had a brother and sister, and they really feel like that bond um, becomes stronger, uh, you know, with their brother and sister. Um, you know, almost com- almost uh, maybe compensating for the loss of the parental figure. Um, so mm-hmm. that's definitely something that I hear as well, which is, you know, which is, is a good thing. Um, and growing up faster for sure um you know these these uh children when i talk to them they you know they seem a lot more mature um than 
maybe someone in their, their late teens or whatever. Um, and it's just I think it's because of this responsibility that they've taken on. Uh, you know, but needless to say, um, you know, for this project, I'm trying to deal with different stories. And, you know, there's a couple families where it's early onset, but they're just in the beginning stages. So, you know, all they do is come over and maybe they take their dad or their mom for a walk or something and or, uh, you know, run an errand or out for dinner and stuff. But that's still an aspect of it. And another aspect is a distance thing. So there is a family that I'm uh, talking with now that might be a part of the project where, you know, the daughter lives in Toronto and the parents are actually two hours away. Um, and she goes home, you know, every once in a while to, to help out. But that's something that I know, you know, we struggled with in our family. Luckily, you know, I was, I was there to help out, but both my brother and sister didn't live, um, you know, close by. So, um, that's, that's, it's just another aspect of it that these young caregivers have to go through, uh, when they realize I can't be home every weekend or even in the evening, I can't just drive over and, you know, give, you know, the primary caregiver a break. It's, and it's, it's tough on them. It's, it's very stressful, you know, on them to, to sit there and, and only do it through a phone call or something and try to, you know, um, rectify a situation through a phone call, which is it's tough to do. So, um, yeah, those are just some of the, of the details. Uh, you know, I'm kind of learning as I'm going as well. Obviously, I don't know everyone's story and, and what everyone's going through. Um, I'm trying to, you know, right now I'm really just documenting the young caregiver with the parent. Um, not to say that, you know, I'm secluding the, the primary caregiver or anyone else, but I'm just trying to focus in right now on their um, their connection, I guess, you know. Uh, a, a, and again, a lot of these stories are daughters and mothers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh mothers with early onset and the daughters are helping out and now some of them you know have brothers and the brothers help as well too but i don't know there's there's definitely there's there's a certain bond between uh, a real bond between mother and daughter um so you know kind of focusing on that um you know how do they connect now or how do they mm-hmm. you know connect when the when the person changes so again there's all different aspects that I'm dealing with, and, and like I said, I don't really know um, how it's going to turn out. This is kind of how these projects evolve, and they just evolve, and I kind of learn with it. But really, I'm just documenting like a you know like a fly in the wall. I just kind of document what's happening. So, you know, the the kids uh, they go through lots of stuff. They you know, and it's it, it's obviously because the disease is, is changing so much, and I'm sure we can all. Uh, you know, um, have had experiences, and my experience with my father felt like at the the middle to later stages, I felt like he was changing every month, um, mm-hmm. doing different things and stuff like that. So again, these these kids have to adapt to that change um, and learn to you know um, learn to deal with it uh, on their own levels. And I think that's a, an important part of it as well. So you know, there's many different many different aspects that these these kids deal with on a daily basis and. Again, it's just how, and and, and I'm not, you know, and, and another point actually is, uh, like I'd mentioned before, that the group in Toronto called Memory Ball, which a couple of girls, I find that these kids are proactive, that they're not mm-hmm. just sitting back and saying, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help with the mother and father and this and this. They're actually getting out and they're trying to raise money and they're trying to get, you know, education and awareness out there. They're starting their own organizations and groups. And I think that's a really interesting thing to show as well. Um, mm-hmm. That and I, I did it. You know, I became I become pretty much an advocate. Um, and I felt, who knows exactly why? I mean, maybe it it, it was 
again, sort of a grieving process for me or something. Um, but yeah, these a lot of these kids are taking a more proactive approach to their their journey with their parent by getting it out there and, and helping by, uh, uh, like I said, getting the word out there. So, anyways, like I said, there's 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 many different aspects of the, of what these kids go through. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because as I'm talking, I'm kind of pushing the show out on on social media because that's typically mm-hmm. what I do, and sure. I am actually shocked at how many more um, groups there are on Facebook for early onset now for mm-hmm. the for the adult children and um, mm-hmm. and for the kids. Um, there, yeah. I mean, there's just a lot. I, I cannot believe how many different groups there are that that weren't here even a year ago, you yeah. know. Uh, and so it's uh, that's a good thing, you know, that yeah. more people are are being educated and and also finding support um, yeah. within this this disease. So that's a really really good good thing. But I'm but I am I'm just kind of shocked. At, uh, I guess it, I mean, know. I guess it's because more people. I, I don't know the numbers, you know. I, I because of what I've been through and stuff. I, I kind of stay away from statistics now and stuff like that. But okay. I'm guessing that you know a lot more younger people. A lot there's a lot more people being diagnosed with early onset, and it's you know, um, it's I don't know because that's all my father had was early onset. So I don't know, uh, you know, the other uh, type uh, if you get diagnosed after 65, but um, mm-hmm. I just know that um, there seems to be a lot more people coming forward to saying, you know, uh, let's talk more about early onset, so that's probably why there's more uh, more groups being started, you know, so that, that's mm-hmm. definitely a good thing, a good thing, yeah, for sure. Um, if, you know, if people want to, obviously they can contact me either way. But if people do want to uh, see more about this project, I know you have it. You have it on your website, right? Mm-hmm. Link to your website. Yep. But anyways, Correct. you can just Google. You can just go to um, uh, Indiegogo.com and and then do a search for Much Too Young, and you can uh, you can you know I'm actually what I really ask ask people to do is just tweet it out or, or Facebook it out. I mean, I actually had interesting enough. I had um, some um, celebrities. Uh, retweet some of my tweets. It was kind of nice. I had uh, Seth Rogen's wife retweet one of my tweets, and I had um, uh, because of the new movie coming out, Still Alice. I had a couple of the actresses retweet some of the stuff. So it's nice to know that you know you're trying to get the word out there, and people are helping. So that's a really all I'm asking people to do is just to to help get word out there. And if they want to support, uh, that would be great as well. So um, yeah, but you know it's it's it's. It's funny because I obviously I do other work, you know, I do video production and stuff like that, but um I just feel like I I need to keep continue doing stuff um because of my dad's film and, and you know, people have asked me to do different projects here and there and the one that you mentioned that I did last year for the University of Waterloo, another video series um about um early uh it was about uh dementia and a woman living with dementia who had been diagnosed at 47. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to do, and I'm still getting asked to, to speak. I'm speaking, uh, at, with the Alzheimer's Society of Montreal here on November 18th. And, uh, again, uh, just before Christmas in Waterloo with the Alzheimer's chapter. So I'm still, amazingly enough, people are still asking me, um, you know, to come and share stories and, and try to get it out there. So there's definitely a need for it. You know, I always try to encourage people, uh, to share stories. I really find personal stories, um, are very effective. Um, people are more engaged when they're listening to a personal story, and you can learn a lot. 
like you said, you know, people on the front lines, you can learn a lot from them. So I always encourage people to share stories in any way they can um, because, again, that whole stigma, right? We're trying to get yeah. past that stigma of what Alzheimer's is. And, you know, I have to say that, you know, it's 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 who knows why it's like that, but um, I actually did a talk last year where I was blaming the, the mainstream media for, you know, how it portrays Alzheimer's and dementia. And so we need to get past that stigma and the best way to do that is for people to uh to share their story and get the truth out there so that's all i'm yeah. really trying to do but it's all i'm really trying to do but i really really feel that there's there's uh, a need for it and um like i said i'm trying to do projects now that deal with alzheimer's and dementia but try to come at it from possibly like you know a different angle try to tell different <laughs> stories because if we tell the same story over and over and over um, you know, it gets very repetitive, and it, they might be great stories, and you know, we do need to tell them, but we need to tell different stories as well. So I'm hoping that this one, um, much too young about younger caregivers, will be a different story and see the see the disease in a, in, a, in a different way. So those are those are my hopes. Well, and I, you know, I just hope you uh, have great success with this. Uh, a, a friend of mine, I should say acquaintance, say Alla finally get to meet her um, in December. Um, she's also, she has a company called uh, Fire Films. Uh, she's over in mm-hmm. Australia, <clears throat> Corinne. Mm-hmm. And she's been doing some different, you know, films. And they actually won an award, uh, a huge award right. over over there. And so people are really starting to pay attention. And I think the, have you seen the Glenn Campbell film? I have not seen it. I just no. I I know that you had just sent out a message too, but I definitely want to see that. That I I think that's going to be a game changer. Um, Yeah. I I really think the Glenn Campbell film is going to be a game changer for people understanding what this disease is like. Sure. Um, Sure. It is. It is done um, in such a a brilliant way, where Mm -hmm. um, you just you. See him just light up when he's doing his music and playing sure. the guitar and singing, and he's still able to read um, <clears throat> the um, oh, what do you call it? Um, oh, I'm, I'm going brain dead. The the like little the, um, oh, the what do you call it? Or, yeah, or, yeah. They they've got the machine yeah. going. What? Um, all right, right. And it, and he can he can still read all the words and stuff. And the mm-hmm. doctors are just amazed because wow. he there's so much he can't do. Um, but it just shows that when a person's in their passion, um, you know, h- how engaged they are and and the way the family deals with it. I mean, it, it shows the sadness and the hurt, but it shows just the brilliance of the love and the laughter and his sense of humor sure. and their sense of humor. Um, and, it, you know, it really shows all sides of sure. of the disease, which needs to be seen. And yeah. um, and I, I, that's why I just I love so much what you're doing because I think the the multimedia is so much more powerful than just the written word or just someone listening to a speaker. You know, um, we need these personal stories that that people can really see and relate to. Yeah. Um, the theater that I was in was just packed, and which was really mm-hmm. nice because I had. I had seen earlier the um, Alive Inside one with, uh, yep. you know, with the one with the iPods, yep. and yep. I was so sad because there was barely anybody in the theater, and that's just yeah. a brilliant film too, you know. Yeah. So um, bringing out, <clears throat> you know, how this is affecting the families, I think, will be really good, and getting getting this next generation um, 
more educated um, yeah. and in getting parents more aware of the effects this has on their kids because I, I think we forget we're so busy caring we forget the impact you know that it has yeah. on on our families um, yeah, even even if they're not the primary caregiver yeah. and I and I and I believe your focus is you know the kids are really more the primary caregivers is that who you're who you're going to be shooting uh not not they a lot of them consider them i mean it, in no um family are they the actual primary mm-hmm. caregiver they all have okay. a, another parent that are that's the primary caregiver um um they do feel uh you know like i felt like a secondary caregiver and stuff like that um but i think it's um well i mean mainly it's it's just the families that i've found so far if i if i do find a, a family with a a young caregiver who's primary then that'd be you know amazing to show as well but i'm but the stories that i'm following are just um you know they're, like i said they're, they're, people are not only are are they at a different stage in their life the young caregiver but as well the parent with Alzheimer's uh, early onset are also at a different stage. Some are been newly diagnosed, some are middle stages, and some are actually late stages. So you can you can understand that you are going to see you know different aspects because everybody is is different. So, but a lot of them feel um, not the primary caregiver, but they they definitely feel like they're right there uh, that they need to be there. And because it is, and it was the same with my, me, it became more almost about my mother who was the primary caregiver than my father. I started to worry more about her. Uh, and her health, um, then, you know, when my dad was getting worse and worse, I thought there's only so much I can do for him, but there's, you know, a lot I can do for her by helping mm-hmm. out. And so that's what I think a lot of these, these kids are thinking the same way. Um, um, you know, I shouldn't call them kids, but young adults um, thinking the same way that they're focusing more on the fact that they want to make sure that their their primary caregiver, their parent, is in good health and it doesn't... Um, doesn't affect them um but yeah you know just getting back to something else that you said um i'm actually hoping to put this film out this project out and not really call it an alzheimer's project um mm-hmm. just just call it much too young you know and people they can read the description and find out that these are young caregivers looking after you know a parent with early onset and that's the, kind of their connection but uh, you know it's it's tough because i think that's one of the reasons that people might not fill up a theater, you know, mm-hmm. to say it, it's an Alzheimer's project. It's a project about Alzheimer's. As much as I want people to learn about it, and they will, mm-hmm. um, there's there's just something there that I think the general public, like you said, the whole stigma, that's, you know, something that won't attract them um, to mm-hmm. see it, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, I think a lot of people can agree with. You know, I mean, uh, it's unfortunate, but that's just the way, the way it is. So I'm really hoping to kind of, like a, tried to do with my dad's project and you know i was happy to bring it into the alzheimer's community and and do it that way but you know i i would have loved to have gotten it out to the general public a bit more and Mm -hmm. uh, that's definitely what i'm trying to do here is to get get past you know just the alzheimer's community and get it out to the general public to again Uh like i said try to hit a a younger demographic and try to educate them so that's just um one thing that I'm that I'm hoping that it will do, but again, I, I hope it has uh, a mass appeal and and longevity and, and everything like that as well. As as long as uh, the same with a lot of these, you know, like you said, uh, alive inside and, and stuff like that. And I know uh, the the Glenn Campbell. I mean, but you know, it's 
it's also because it's Glenn Campbell, right? And people know the name and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. When you have a name like that attached, it, it has more appeal to it. Um, but there was another, you know, another the genius of, of Miriam, which was another great one that came out, um, which is on PBS. So there, you know, it, there are great stories out there. Um, this was just one as- aspect that I have not seen, uh, and maybe there is a, a film or a project about young caregivers dealing with early onset, but I, I haven't really seen one yet. So this is why I'm, I'm trying to focus on that. Yeah, no, I, I, I haven't seen, I haven't seen one either. Um, so I think uh I think it'll be great uh to have one have one done that's for sure. Um definitely definitely needed um on that. Um we've got somebody on the line and I'm not sure if they've got a question or not. Okay. Uh there was a 646 number so I'm going to just check and see. Um and uh I've got somebody live on the air from a 646 number. Did you have a question or a comment? Lori, hey, it's Lisa Hirsch. Hi. Hey Lisa, how, how you doing? Hi. Okay, I you know I didn't I tuned in a little late and Chris, hello to you. I, and hi. I was just hi. I have no question other than it's not a question is a comment and I had the opportunity to see Chris's uh, film on his father and it was fabulous. It was fabulous. As you were talking, Chris, saying that you were you know hoping that this could be something that people will go see and not calling it Alzheimer's. And it was mm-hmm. like I thought of a writer when he comes out with a book that's finally a best novel, and then they come back with the, with the original ones, you know, yep. that they did that they didn't get acknowledged for, and then so there's more to read. So I mean, like, I don't know, Lori, if you saw the other one, his other yep, film. with his did. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, and and as you were talking again, it was also like with Glenn Campbell and what what Chris just said. I mean, whatever awareness we can bring to this is great, but yeah, it's Chris, it's Glenn Campbell. I yeah. think that maybe with still Alice, that when that that's coming out um, mm-hmm. in December, I think that might be able to push some things over the edge for us um, as advocates. Um, in the sense of it's no one famous and it's a big Hollywood production and it's two huge uh, American stars. Not that that they're American. So, you know, it, it's I'm hoping that that will bring more awareness to get more funding uh, that's desperately needed for this disease. So, yeah. Anyway, no, I, it was no. I agree. Question. I just wanted to say hello to Chris and you, Lori. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, good. No, I, it, your input is is important, and and um, you know, I think it was good too to bring up still Alice again too. Do you know mm-hmm. when that's coming out? When the launch date is for that? December fifth. Because I'm usually not like this, but I have it. Uh-huh. It's coming out at December fifth or the fourth, whatever that Friday is. Because I have it down. I'm going on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. It'll be interesting to see how how it opens because Julianne Moore is such a big name in in Hollywood, and then you have Alex Baldwin. Um, And when I was at um, the Alzheimer's annual meeting two weeks ago, they mentioned, uh, Glenn Campbell's had just come out, so they mentioned that, but they had mentioned that Julianne Moore spent a lot of time at the association in New York um, trying to find out more and seeing more about Alzheimer's. So there's a lot of research as an actress that she did other than, um, I mean, she's she's great. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. What? I agree that um, you know, more the more projects, the bigger, the better. You know, let's get the word out there as mu as much as we can. So, um, you know, I I read Stellaris and I, I contacted um, the author. Her name's escaping me right now. Um, you know, so I hope it I hope it's huge, um, and I hope they they've done a great job, and I hope there's more more like it. You know, the the interesting thing is there's never been a TV show with a with a main person with any form mm -hmm. of of Alzheimer's. There's been, you know, I think in Grey's Anatomy they had someone. There's been a lot of bit smaller parts here and there, but there's never really been a a, a a huge TV show. So maybe that's something that needs to be in the works. Yeah, that would be that would be wonderful to be able to see something like that come about. That's yeah, it's, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's kind of crazy with with how many people are affected by this that it's as large as it is to us who are affected. It's also not that it's, it's – I don't know that anyone would watch a TV show, Chris. I mean, unless you had someone affected by this. It, it's still in, in its own parameters of a disease. I mean, there's more talk. There's more recognition. I know in New York when we do the walk here, it's the same day as the um, breast cancer walk. The, the, the TV stations don't do anything on it. It's all mm -hmm. about – Mm -hmm. uh, cancer, breast cancer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, not that that isn't a horrible, terrible thing, but it's it, it gets me upset. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, and who knows how we have to get past that. But um, I don't know. You know, uh, when I say a TV show, obviously there's got to be, you know, more to it um, than than just the fact that they have Alzheimer's or dementia. But, you know, I just mean a main character or, or someone uh, some type of main character um, could have a, a form of it to, to, you know, instead of just having a, a parent or a grandparent, which is, I think they've had in the past. So, um, yeah, I don't know exactly what that TV show would look Actually, like. Actually, the show 24 Hours, I don't know if you ever watched it, but they came back with it for one year, and the the, the actor who played the President of the United States kept, mm -hmm. had, had Alzheimer's. Okay. And he okay. he kept talking about it. I was surprised. I was like surprised to hear that and see it because it wasn't like a quick little roll. And how he was taking medication, and he knew that he had mm -hmm. to uh, resign from office um, because he knew that what was going on with him. I was like really surprised and pleasantly surprised to see that. Uh, so happening a little by little. Yeah. I am sorry, Lori. I actually have to go. I have a. I have to do a shoot in like five minutes. So. Oh, um, not a problem. Not a problem. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Again, people can go to Indiegogo.com and and just search Much Too Young to learn more about this project. But thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure having you, Chris. Good luck with your shoot. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Bye bye. bye. <laughs> Oh heck! Well, that was uh, that was very fun to have Chris on the show and and hear what all he is up to. I'm going to go ahead and do our uh, mid-program highlights here, and uh, then I will introduce our our second guest. So, um, for those of you that um, 
didn't listen to our last show, we actually had Lisa Hirsch who just called in. She talked about long-distance caregiving. And uh, we also talked about the power of music with Alzheimer's Music Connect, um, who has just that absolutely uh, fabulous new CD. Uh, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and play one of the songs. I think I'm going to just play uh, Let It Snow right now. The weather outside is frightful But the fire is so delightful And since we've no place to go Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow Oh, it doesn't show signs of stopping But I brought some corn for popping so with that, uh, that was just one of the songs on the the new uh, Christmas CD that they have called Memories, put out by Alzheimer's Music Connect. And you can just go to their website uh, to find information on that. They also have a kind of a, a gathering or a collection of some other music. Um, and then they've got a bunch of individual uh, CDs as well. But just beautiful, beautiful music. And I know it seems a little early. It's not snowing here yet in Minnesota. But um, I just saw on Facebook somebody posted 50 days till Christmas, which just kind of shocked me on that one. That just seems way, way too early for me. And I didn't didn't do the math to double check, but uh, I know it's around the corner there. Um, so that show was uh, was a really interesting show, and again, it's in the archives if you'd like to um, hear about um, what Lisa Hirsch had to say about her long-distance caregiving. Uh, she has... Uh, a book out, uh, My Mom, My Hero, and uh, does a beautiful blog. And then we, we talked with, um, actually, Vanessa, who's on the um, the Memories uh, CD uh, with Alzheimer's Music Connect, along with the founder, um, Ron Gregory. Our next show, uh, next week, on next Tuesday, we're going to be talking about um, staying mentally healthy when caring, and we're also going to have the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center on um, from um, Pennsylvania, and so that'll be that'll be a great show. Our last dementia chats that we had was really a pretty powerful and heartfelt. Um, webinar. Uh, we got into a, a big discussion on advocacy, politics, and policies. And um, the voices were very strong and, and very passionate on on what they what they felt. And our experts, for those of you that don't know, um, are all diagnosed with dementia. And you can again watch any of the archived dementia chats um, just by going to Alzheimer's Speaks. Go to our About page, and from there you will find uh, information um, specifically on on Dementia Chats. Uh, What else? I wanted to mention a couple of blog posts. We already talked about the Glenn Campbell film, I'll Be Me, um, which will make you laugh and cry, but most of all you'll just be touched by this powerful film. Um, It's just got short screenings around the country, but I would encourage you to check your... um, your theaters out and ask if they have it. And if they don't, tell them they need to get it. Um, it's a really, really very, very um, well done show. Lots of fun music uh, to go with it. And the number of stars that came out uh, to talk about the effects of the disease, um, 
how it's personally affected them. I remember, I think it was Brad Paisley said it's in his family and he just kind of pleaded, Hey, he's 41 and he knows he's next. And, um, so it's, it's, people are starting to listen, um, and, and starting to pay attention. There was also on the blog, an article about the seven steps of Alzheimer's prevention diet. And that was put out by Alzheimer's research and prevention foundation. And, uh, then there was a real powerful and interesting video on famous people with dementia that was put out by one of our advocates, Tony, uh, that was, it was just kind of fascinating, um, to watch. Uh, that again. So let me go ahead and introduce our second guest here. Uh, For the second half of the show, we are going to be talking with Molly Middleton-Meyer, and she is the founder of the Dallas-based company called Minds Eye Poetry. She works with dementia patients uh, using a facilitation process that includes sensory props, poetry, and memory-triggering questions. Molly not only helps those with Alzheimer's recapture memories, but she also provides a much-needed outlet for creative expression and empowerment. She is an active member of the Alzheimer's Association of the greater uh, Dallas area, where she serves on the board of directors. And Mind's Eye Poetry has been featured on nationally syndicated um, radio and print, like the Huffington Post, And her work is soon going to be featured um, on a national broadcast uh, television segment. So welcome, Molly. How are you today? I'm doing well, Lori. How are you? I'm doing great, doing great, having a wonderful day today. So um, I don't know um, if you can first maybe share with people just your own personal journey. Have, Have you had someone in your own family or or friend who's been touched, you know, by this disease that caused you to kind of get into this at all? Or Yes, Lori, um, very much so. Um, I lost both of my parents to Alzheimer's back-to-back. Um, my dad was diagnosed first. Um, he lived with the disease for about three years and passed away in 2011. Uh, my mom, almost to um, the month that my father uh, passed away a year later, was diagnosed, um, and uh, it was very early. Uh, about a month after her diagnosis, she fell and fractured her skull. Uh, it was a horrifying time, of, of course, and uh, she sustained some brain damage, and so we had Alzheimer's and brain damage on board, and it really exacerbated the Alzheimer's, um, and she went downhill very quickly. It was about eight or nine months and then uh, lost my mom in uh, October of 2012. So uh, as you can imagine, it was a very challenging time. My brother and I uh, shared caregiving duties, um, but there were periods of time that both of my parents were in memory care centers. And it was during that time that, uh, like most caregivers, I was you know, very stretched and um, exhausted and frustrated and all of the things that we know go along with caregiving. Um, but when my parents were in the, the memory care centers, and, and they actually were in one that was really considered one of the best in our area in Phoenix at that time, um, I just became increasingly frustrated with uh, what I perceived as sort of the lack of stimulation um, to the point where I was angry sometimes. Um, You know, I'd come in and they were, 
trying to get people to sing if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands and, you know, um, throwing beach balls around and they were hitting people in the head. And, you know, I, I think all of us at some point have probably heard these stories or seen them and it was just frustrating. And I, I just figured there there had to be a better way. Um, and so I kind of put my mind to that and took what my, you know, little skill set is, which is writing and um, poetry in particular, and had, you know, read numerous things about the power of music. And I thought, you know, um, poetry really is verbal music. And so let me see what I can put together. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, it's always uh, interesting when someone is touched by this disease, what it sparks uh, in terms of creativity and, and making yeah. a difference. And, and, you know, because we all see needs differently um, out mm-hmm. there. And so I think that that's just a, just a great, great thing. Um, you work with dementia patients, um, primarily using uh, poetry um, facilitation as a means of really stimulating memory and imagination. Can you explain to our audience a little bit more about your method? What what exactly does that really mean? How does that look like? What does that look like? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I will say in advance, it is something that I can explain um, and, and I'm sure listeners will be able to kind of wrap their heads around what it looks like and what it must be like. But to actually experience it, even for me, every time I, I do the facilitation process, I really am amazed and touched by the outcome. But um, basically what, what I do, and it's been really a process of trial and error, and, um, and I stay open and flexible and try to be fluid because, um, as many many of you know, uh, working uh, with people who are living with Alzheimer's and other dementias uh, is challenging in that, you know, even the same person in a given day um, can be um, different and, and reacting different to different stimuli. So I try to be very adaptable. But basically what I do is I come up with sort of a general theme. And, again, I try to keep it very open because I want to go in whatever direction the person or the group of people in in many cases, um, you know, want to go. So just to use an example, this past week or so, I've been working with a theme of autumn. Um, Sometimes that theme ends up going into completely different directions, but for the most part, we stay um, on autumn. And then before I go, I think about, and I tried to be just very creative about what kind of things, sensory items that I could bring that might uh, trigger memories, but also imagination, because I'm really finding one of the most surprising things is it's not always about the memories, but triggering something that that gets them out of where they are um, and thinking about imagine just a, just creative and, and different ideas, and I, and I find them to be incredibly creative. Um, but, you know, this last week I brought a bale of hay, um, a little one, I brought um, leaves and sticks. I brought uh, an apron from uh, that I use when I'm cooking. I brought gourds and even uh, some artwork and some photographs that depict different scenes uh, having to do with autumn. So I bring those and I put them on a table. I try to be close to everyone. Uh, one of the things that I've learned um, is very effective is you know, I always introduce myself. I never assumed that they remember who I was before, so I make fresh introductions. And I try to say everyone's name. And 
Yes, sometimes it's challenging. I I worked with a group recently of 22 people in various stages um, of the disease process, and you know I'm I'm trying to remember everyone's name myself, but it's so powerful to see the reaction when someone actually says someone's name. So I, I really take pride in trying to do that and to introduce myself again and and to to say all of their names, you know, numerous times whenever they you know, participate or, you know, even smile um, or or are looking up, you know, and looking and seeming to enjoy the, the process. So I bring all those things and I explain all of them and people want to touch. Um, and, you know, I've, I've brought a seashell before and they want to put it up to their ear and, and you know, hear the ocean. Um, so we, we laugh and we talk and many times people will start to tell stories about, uh, uh, you know, about things that they've remembered. And after we look at everything, I recite several poems, usually at least three. And they're not, you know, <laughs> Lori, they're not, you know, the poems that you think of as being great works. I, I've tried that and I find that for me anyway, um, sometimes, you know, the simple is better. Um, the, the folks I work with tend to like poems with rhyme. And that's really not, you know, what's in vogue right now, at least with modern day poetry. So I try to keep very open. I find poems all over the place and I have wonderful Facebook friends who um, have family members who write poetry, who write poetry themselves and they send things to me. So um, I do that and I, and I get reaction, uh, which is, it's, it's remarkable. You know, sometimes if it's a well-known poem, I'll have folks uh, finish lines for me. Um, oftentimes it's just a reaction that is, oh, that's beautiful, or sort of a quizzical look. And we'll talk about how, yeah, I didn't really get that either. That's kind of the deal with poetry. Uh, so after that, uh, then I've really thought hard and long in advance about what kind of very open-ended questions could I ask um, that would allow you know, many different people from backgrounds to uh, relate to it or to, you know, expand upon the idea. So it might be something very general, um, you know, something like uh, when, when, um, when you think of autumn, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Uh, that's a great way to start any facilitation because I find that right away, you know, it, it's an icebreaker, and I always say there's no wrong answer. And so depending on the level of, of functioning or if people are, you know, very verbal or not verbal at all, I'll get full paragraphs back, you know, that it's, well, it's about the leaves and raking the leaves and they're all falling, or I'll get, you know, just one word, you know, red, and then I'll have to dig a little bit. Well, what what is red? Um, so, so while that's happening, um, I'm writing down everything. I'm listening, writing, listening, writing. And I guess because I have, have a weird little skill set, um, not good at a lot of things, but I can do this. Um, I listen to everything, write it down. I'm making arrows, and I can kind of hear the sounds and what words might go together and what lines might work one before the other or after. Um, and I very quickly put it into a poem. And uh, we do this kind of maybe three, four times in an hour, but the magical part, Lori, is when I read their poem back to them. Um, I'm sorry, I get emotional because it's just, it is magical. Um, people sit up straighter. 
They open their eyes wide and smile. They might say, that's my word, or I wrote that line, or I didn't know I could do this. And the empowerment that I see on the faces of people who are so accustomed to not knowing the answer and who are told what they're forgetting or what they are reminded about what they're forgetting, uh, it's, just, it's just a remarkable process. And, um, and I, I just love every bit of it. Wow, I can see where that would be extremely, extremely rewarding um, to be able to do that. Now, was there was there something um, that kind of ignited you to to start this whole process? At, you know, as a whole, was there like one thing that just got you saying, "I, I have to do, I have to do something different here with this"? You know, yeah, it's probably not one thing, but uh, a combination of of seeing things that, you know, I didn't like. But, you know, truthfully, um, you know, and I, I feel like I made so many mistakes, so many mistakes with my own parents. And, you know, let me qualify that because um, I'm human and I only knew what I knew. And when you're dealing with a loved one, it's it's very complicated. And it's much more complicated than what I'm doing now. Uh, I, I say that, you know, I, I have the best job in the world and it's just a joy to know the people that I work with now. I know them as they, who they are now. So mm-hmm. I'm not quite as aware of what's being lost. And mm-hmm. as a loved one, that's obviously what's, you know, so, so hard to deal with um, with this disease. Uh, you know, I've been doing it long enough that I'm seeing you know, the the progression of the disease and many of the people that I work with, and it, it is heartbreaking. Um, and I focus on, you know, the what I perceive as the light in a lot of darkness. Um, and so I try to keep my mind on that. But I was frustrated with what I saw. And after my parents passed, I you know, some of this is selfish. I needed to heal. And I needed to forgive myself. And So I started really being able to think about it afterwards about, you know, why did I argue with my mom when she insisted upon things like it was night when it was day? You know, why did I need to be right? And so it was part of the healing process for me to really evaluate the things that I had done and what I could have done better, Um, not beating myself up, just moving forward. And I thought, you know, I can take my skill set with poetry and my passion, which is, you know, this disease and bringing some positivity into what we all know can be very negative and make you very angry and resentful and bitter. And I chose not to go that route. Uh, so it, it was a combination. It was a combination of of not liking what I saw, knowing there could be better practices, wanting to be a change maker, and also wanting to heal myself and and give something back and the interactions that I have now I know that you know I I feel I feel that my parents are with me I feel that um you know that that they would know that I did the best that I could and that all of us are doing the best that we can and we're human but uh it's wonderful to be making changes and to see such incredible results Mm mm-hmm well, that's very, very cool. Um, can you tell uh, you know our audience um, how many people you typically work with? Is this a one-on-one or a group type setting, or does it does it vary? 
um, depending on, on where you're at? You know, it varies depending on where I'm at. And, you know, as word gets around, I'm given, you know, new and different opportunities, which I love. Uh, for the most part, I work with groups of people in memory care centers. Uh, it, depending on the level of, you know, functioning and the disease, um, smaller groups, three, four, five. I've done one-on-one in memory care centers. But as I mentioned earlier, um, I have a group of folks who, you know, they're the best av- advertising crew ever. Um, most are sort of in the early, you know, I, I don't like kind of talking about the stages because everyone is so different. But I guess if you had to kind of get a, an idea, they're in, you know, early, mid you know, more toward mid-stages of the disease, and and they just, you know, they love it so much, and I go to this particular place every week that, you know, there's a, a lot of people that remember and, you know, will say, oh, I brought one more, you know, because, you know, it's a, it's a place where, um, you know, for the most part, most are still able to, to navigate themselves. So, uh, some groups, as many as 20, I think I did one, maybe 25, it, it becomes much more challenging. Um, but I'm also doing some in-home now. Uh, so it, it really just varies. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's neat. When you, um, How long does a session typically last, Molly? Well, you know, it, it typically lasts an hour, but I tend to, <laughs> I tend to, to love working with the people that I work with. So I, I usually get there a little bit early uh, so that I can do a lot of, um, you know, how are you and notice different things. And, you know, sometimes there'll be stories that want to be shared um, or questions that, that, you know, that they want to ask. And, and, you know, I just love the interaction so much. And typically I work for about an hour, but then I pack all my things up, and uh, and I've even found that to be a fascinating time when I'm not asking questions and I'm not writing, and I'm just packing up the things, and sometimes that's when the most profound things will, will actually happen. Um, I was packing up from one yesterday, and when I, you know, we had talked about leaves and autumn and all of, you know, everything you can imagine that goes with that. And I was putting the leaves away, and uh, one gentleman who really had not been very um, interactive at all, I didn't know if he was even verbal, um, who had his head down, he was sitting in a wheelchair and had his head down most of the time, uh, sat up and started whistling. And he was definitely whistling a tune. I didn't know what it was. And then a woman from, you know, kind of across the room, she, um, she started singing to the Mm -hmm. tune that he was whistling. And I said, what is it? What is it? You know, what is the song? And she said, it's Autumn Leaves. And Uh I thought, I've never heard of the song. But I came home right away, of course, and, you know, Googled this, and it's a Frank Sinatra song called Autumn Leaves. So, you know, it's just just fascinating to be able to – you know, have a job where I, it's not really a job to me, but to do something that uh, is so remarkable and you just never know, um, you never know what's going to happen. So typically an hour, but I would say more like an hour and a half. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, that's, uh, do you see their, their personalities and things changing, um, and, you know, when you're with them? And then have you heard, you know, if that happens, does that last afterwards? as well or 
Okay, so if I understand the question, do their personalities change because mm-hmm. of the process or while yep. we're in process? Um, I, you know, I I don't know if I would say personalities, but definitely uh, body language. Um, I see people who seem very disconnected, staring, you know, into their own world, not interacting with the person next to them. And um, I come in and, you know, some of it is just so simple um, to, to take a few extra moments to allow some wait time when you ask a question, to say someone's name, to be enthusiastic, sometimes almost overly enthusiastic that, you know, it's going to be fun, but they don't have to do anything and no one's going to ask or quiz them that we're just going to have fun together and, I've learned not to say we're going to write poetry because the reaction typically is, oh, I can't stand poetry. I never liked poetry. I can't do poetry. So I don't even usually mention that. It's just sort of a byproduct of it. Um, but, but yes, um, I do see that. I see just a general, almost overwhelming uh, response that is positive in, in, in body language and, in, in, you know, smiling in sitting up um, and looking at me and laughing, laughing, um, being joyous, interacting with the folks next to them, listening to what someone else has to say, you know, not knowing that that person that they spend hours with every day has this incredible, you know, incredible story. Everybody has a story. And uh, so, so yes, I don't know if it's personality as much as just, there's definitely a quality of life and joy that happens when we're we're writing poetry together. Okay, well, and and I can imagine just that connectiveness is just so so important um, and and brings a lot of of pleasure. I was just you know thinking of the um, the movie I'm Alive, you know, where they put the iPods on and and you can just yes, see alive inside, yes. Yeah, you can just see the the transition, um, not only within the person, but actually with everybody around them as well. You know, you can just see the whole energy change. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so I was was interested in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I'm sorry, I feel like I'm stepping on you. Um, (laughs) I just just thought of... um, you know the the movie that you referred to, Alive Inside. You know so many of the of you know the changes, almost you know miraculous. It almost seems like changes that you see in people who are exposed to music. You know, I, I saw it and I thought about that, and I feel like poetry is much the same. Um, but I, but I tried something out recently, and it was incredible. I actually brought different selections of music. Um, music that wasn't, you know, formulated by any means based on a person's, you know, past likes or experience, but um, just beautiful, different selections of very different kinds of music. And so I I also brought in musical um, props, for lack of a better term, and even something I I brought in a scarf and, you know, asked, you know, if, if the scarf were moving, you know, what would jazz look like? What would rock and roll look like? What would classical music look like? So we had already kind of gotten our heads around music. And I played one selection for about three minutes and mm-hmm. faded it and said, what did you see when you listened to this music? And some of the responses were just astounding. 
astounding. I see a waterfall. I see two people dancing. She's wearing a blue evening gown. I see, you know, someone on stage playing a guitar under a light. So those were some of the most poetic, you know, answers. And I was, you know, able to very easily formulate those into poems. So it's almost like another another level of the music and being able to to um, to identify with the music, but not just the triggering of memories. What I'm finding is the triggering of imagination, and mm-hmm. that's fascinating to me. That um, I think we're really overlooking the fact that while yes, people are losing some kind of brain function, and we know that that's going to progress. We all know where this disease leads. There's a huge stage in between for most people um, where, you know, the the capacity to be very creative exists. Um, I I should say that I've done facilitations with completely able-minded people, caregivers and other folks in kind of seminar settings, and never are the poems as creative um, as they are when I work with people who have dementia. Oh, isn't that interesting? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um well I just I love poetry. I think it's just a great kind of way to to breathe and be creative and and have fun and um I I just I, there's so many things I can I can say about that. What do you do with the poems once once you create them? Are they oh, displayed I'm... or gathered or Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm so glad you asked that because it really is the process that's more important. Um, but the product, the, the poems, um, are, you know, they can be used for so many purposes. So um, most of the places that I go to, the memory care centers, um, what I do is I go home and I take my chicken scratch, basically something that only I can read, and um, I sit with it and I type them out using only their words and ideas uh, into lines and stanzas and, and form, you know, format them like a poem. And then I mail those back to, email those back to the care centers and they will, will print them out and put them in newsletters and display them, you know, in common areas. And I've really encouraged them. And, and so we're getting there uh, where the actual, you know, poets, the people that have participated in the facilitation, um, get copies. And so I'm slowly seeing, you know, um, picture frames with poems and them going up in, in residents' rooms uh, and um, family members then seeing them. And and then these, of course, become this incredible written record um, with different, you know, different additions from different people that might be uh, something from, you know, a memory. I have uh, one woman whose um, father owned a candy store, and oftentimes, you know, as we know, people will be somewhat repetitive, and so this will come into numerous poems. But um, her daughter just, you know, it, it it's such a gift. To, you can't be there, especially if, if a parent is, you know, not in your home um, or a loved one is not in your home. You can't be there 24 hours a day. So, to know that uh, you, you know a loved one has participated in something creative and that there's now a record of it is is really invaluable. I mean, it, it can become a family heirloom. Uh, I'm working with one family where I'm just working one on one with um, with the mom, and uh, they're gonna you know gather all the poems together and give them out as holiday gifts. And um, 
you know, for her birthday and that kind of thing. Yeah, so um, there's so many uses for them, but I, I, you know, I I think about with my own parents, um, you know, here I have this this ability to do this and have kind of come up with my own method of doing it, and I never once tried it, never once thought of it to do Mm -hmm. it with my own parents. And, uh, you know, I'd give anything to have, you know, one poem that, you know, my parents had participated in. So if, if there's any lesson, it's that we're all a work in progress and we all evolve and, uh, you know, you have to forgive yourself for what you don't know and didn't do and just try to make, you know, make make today and tomorrow better. Yeah, good advice. Very good advice on that. Sometimes it's it's harder <laughs> harder to do than not. Um, what What would you say are some of the challenges in working with people who have dementia? Uh, you know, I, wh- whatever I say, I'm sure listeners and anyone who's ever been a caregiver could add, you know, a hundred things to this. But, uh, you know, in general, there's you have to be so um, fluid. The, the moment has to, you really have to be able to be adaptable because you never know what someone's disposition is going to be. And even within an hour, it can change. I can have, you know, folks who are happy and joyful and it might be that they're uncomfortable or the temperature's not right or maybe the facilitation is led into an area that, that you know, triggers something. That tends to never happen, but it has happened a couple of times, and I usually can, you know, move away from whatever that subject is. But uh, so I have to be – that's a challenge. I have to really be adaptable, very sensitive to how people are reacting. Um, and um, – you know, I guess you know one of the one of the biggest challenges is not the people that I work with, but the people that work with them. And um, and of course, you know, this isn't to you know condemn anyone or memory care centers in in particular, or you know even folks who are just overwhelmed and tired and tired, so tired of trying to find ways to engage a loved one maybe at home, but. You know, attitudes, and I know you know you know this, Lori. It's just the attitudes that, you know, and, and I get it because I I I was there. But you know, a, a diagnosis of Alzheimer's doesn't mean the person is gone. It doesn't mean that they're you know every day leaving you. I I, I just feel like you know there's so much negativity and there's so much anger, and so it's sort of the biggest challenge is getting the ideas of those folks around people with dementia to open their minds to the fact that their loved one can experience joy, can have a quality of life, can participate in something creative, that they have the ability to do something now that they might not have had the ability to do before for a a variety of reasons. You know, maybe the filter is gone a little bit, so you'll participate more and, and say something without fear of being, uh, you know, of it not being the right answer. But I think more than that, I think that it's uh, that, that there's something that opens up. There's just this general creativity, at least at a certain stage, where, um, but if you don't expect it and you're not looking for it and you're not doing things to, to let that happen and you're not helping that, you're just looking at what's being lost, how tragic the disease is, how hard it is for me, you know, all of those things, which I get because I did it too, um, we fail, I think, to see that there can be, like I said, there can be some light in this disease that is a lot about darkness, but there's nothing we can do about it right now other than to try to find that light. 
and try to mm-hmm. make those engage yeah try to make those engagements and try to uh, I I believe anyway empower and bring dignity into the lives of people who you know um, many times don't have a lot of that. Yep. Yep. Fair, yeah. That whole dignity piece, that that whole attitude piece is um is something that just needs to be shifted so badly. Um it, no matter where we are, if it's if it's in a community or if it's within a family, um people really understanding um the true needs of this disease and and the power behind behind it, um the person um and that ability to connect uh, but you know it, it takes it takes a long time to to shift attitudes and to shift mindsets but um you're you're definitely out there working on it and so that's so that's great what are do you have a couple of like biggest surprises that that you found in terms of dealing with people with dementia um maybe something that just brought you great joy or um you saw brought great joy to someone else during the process uh, you know, I have so many stories, and you know, I'm probably not going to come up with the best one now. But in in you know, in general, I think the thing that surprised me most, and and continues to surprise me, I will say, every single time I do a facilitation, I am surprised by something, um, uh, something remarkable just happens. Uh, I've had people want to leave and go get me something that they wrote um, in their room. Um, I had you know, at one time. I was talking about the ocean, and a woman who really had not participated before said, pepper, pepper, pepper. And I thought, okay, well, that, that in my mind isn't, you know, I'm not making a clear connection, but there's something. There's, you know, this isn't muttering, you know, that idea that people with dementia mutter. Um, and I was told that with my mother, and she wasn't muttering. There was something about a duck, and it was a duck because she had a duck when she was a child. It wasn't just she was saying that word over and over. So, I stopped, and this is a challenge sometimes because you want to keep the attention of everyone else, but she had not participated, so I knew that it was something. And we were talking about the ocean, and so I gave her some wait time, and, you know, I repeated what she said, and and I said, is it about the ocean? And, you know, kind of yes. And and so I worked with her a little bit, and all of a sudden she said, the the water peppering my cheek. And I just couldn't believe it. And I even, you know, I, I hear it and see it all the time, but basically she was had a memory or an image of being on the water and the way that water feels when it's blowing on your face, it almost feels like sandpaper. And her way of, of verbalizing that was peppering her cheek. And so, you know, as a poet, that's just such a beautiful description and such a sensory description. Um, it was incredible to me. Um, but other than that, the things that surprised me the most, and I never would have thought this when I started, and I was all about kind of triggering memories. And then I realized that that's kind of going backwards, and it's it's important to validate those, and I think that that empowers folks and, and you know, is dignifying because they have a story. But the imagination that I see is just phenomenal. Um, I, I showed a Georgia O'Keeffe uh, piece of artwork one time, the, the poppies, if you, if you can recall that, the orange mm-hmm. poppies with the dark black centers. Showed this to a group of people and let them look at it for a while. And I told them the great thing about Georgia O'Keeffe's art or, or other artists who maybe do abstract art is you can turn it any way you want. And I just sat back and watched. 
And so I have people taking, you know, wheelchairs, one hand, you know, whatever works, and they're taking this, this, this picture that I made copies for everybody, and they're turning it one way and upside down and the other way. And I said, find the way it looks the best to you. And I'm watching this, and, and it was fascinating because they really were taking care and thought to see which way it looked best. And then I just simply asked, what do you see in this? And so that is a pure imaginary piece to me. Um, it is imagination. Uh, you know, obviously, if you see something in it that's real that you can relate to, that might be memory. Uh, but for the most part, that is complete imagination. I had someone say when they were looking at the black centers, it looked like evening gowns on a diagonal. The vocabulary that comes up is incredible. Absolutely. Someone said sycamore trees yesterday. And I routinely have the caregivers, even family members, with jaws open, cannot believe. Wow. Or, or I don't even know, and someone will say, do you know she hasn't spoken a word for two weeks? Mm-hmm. So there is, there is something that happens, something that's triggered. But the thing I didn't, didn't expect and I'm amazed and delighted about is the imagination, that it mm-hmm. is something someplace else. Um, and I unfortunately don't know enough about the brain to know if that's a different part of the brain, the, the imagination versus the memory, but, but I would guess that it is. And I think that that's a kind of a fascinating direction that this is taking me, this, um, this stimulation of not only memory, but more and more of, of imagination and creativity. Mm-hmm. Very neat. Um, that those are wonderful big surprises <laughs> that you that you see out of that. And I, and I think that's you know again getting back to shifting the attitude is, you know we we think we know all the outcomes and we really don't, and so we we have to we have to stop um, assuming that we know how everyone's going to react to everything, um, because it's just you know it it just isn't what we always think it's going to be. And um, and I think that that's very very critical that we we look from a, a more open mindset in terms I of how we. I couldn't agree more. How I couldn't agree more. Um, now, Molly, are you doing this just on your own, or is this something that you're you franchised at all, or have other people involved? You know, or? You know what? Right now, I'm kind of a, a kind of a one woman show. Um, I've I've had a couple of folks come with me uh, and observe it. And it sort of want to learn the techniques of doing the poetry facilitation, and sort of by the end they're like, "Whoa, I don't, I don't, I think I could do most of it, but I don't know about the being able to write poems on the spot." And so, like I said, I'm not good at a lot of things, but this is a little kind of quirky skill set that I, I think comes from being a mom of four and having been a teacher and being a writer and really being passionate about working and, and having the experience of talking and, and working with people who have. Uh, dementia, but uh, I, I am offering Skype sessions, and what those are, it's a two-session two uh, series, two half-an-hour sessions, and what, what I'm doing is, I, is I've really kind of thought long and hard about the techniques that I'm using and the ways in which I talk and the ways in which I might ask a question, um, and you know what? You don't have to be a poet. You don't have to be able to write poems on the spot, but I can sort of customize and personalize, which is, you know, what I do, someone's unique needs and, and you know, think about their loved one uh, or somebody who's going into a, to a setting 
where they're, you know, the loved one is maybe living in a memory care center and be able to give them, you know, numerous techniques to try to just even get notes, to get mm-hmm. notes. Now, some people want to send me the notes, and if they're, they're you know, meticulously, you know, taken, I can take those notes and, and you know, form them into poems, and some people want that, and, and you know, it's my joy to do it. Um, but for the most part, you know, just using some of the techniques that I've discovered trial by trial and I error, you could use those techniques and be able to draw out uh, stories, um, you know, sentences, paragraphs that then can be kept, like I said, as, you know, some kind of a, a written record that you can read back to the person later. Uh, you could, you know, use for, you know, anything that you want that would definitely, you know, will definitely end up being some kind of a, uh, a family treasure, you know, one day. So I am doing that, and it's not so much training people how to go to go in and write poems on the spot, but to use what I've just come to by trial and error to be able to um, to, to get a written record of of you know memory as well as imagination. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, can we ask, and again, if you're not comfortable with this, what do you charge for a session at all, or you're not comfortable with that, or is that something that you kind of customize um, you for know what? group? Um, in, yeah, in general, at, you know, for example, in memory care centers, that's very, it varies. Um, you know, I I definitely, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I've done it and word has, you know, spread, and, you know, I've done some um, outside of Texas, and so... Um, it really, really depends on how many people and, you know, how, you know, difficult maybe the, the, the you know, facilitation might be in group in, in terms of, you know, various, um, you know, folks with different stages of the disease, which makes it a little bit more challenging. Um, I can tell you with the, with the Skype series, um, I'm charging $150 for the two sessions, which I do. One session gives, you know, it's a personalized session where I, you know, I hear what the personalized need is and then develop a, a plan for that person for them to go and, and actually use the techniques and then report back to me maybe a week or two or whatever fits with their schedule later um, to then troubleshoot whatever those things are and then come up with some creative ideas um, for how to use those things. So, you know, that is a set thing, um, a set fee. Uh, you know, the, the others, it really depends. If it's in-home, private, how much I have to travel, you know, how many people and, and, and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, that's, I think that that's very reasonable. Um, and I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. I do want to invite, you know, if we've got anyone on the line that wants to use the chat box or anyone who wants to call in and ask a question maybe I haven't thought of, um, regarding, uh, Molly Myers with her mind's eye poetry, um, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Um, maybe you have also had some experiences with poetry and, uh, would like to share those with us as well. We would, we would be more than honored to have you join the conversation. It's always interesting to hear um, other people's experiences and and things. Um, Molly, one one thing I was going to ask, when you do poetry, um, do you capture pictures at all? Because I I would imagine that there's just a lot of joyful moments. And is that, do you have anything, you know, captured um, either in photos or videos of your sessions? Yes, you know, I do. Um, I, I would encourage people to, to visit my website because I, uh, 
I have a wonderful photographer that actually came with me. You know, sometimes there's privacy issues, um, you know, and I completely, I completely understand that. But uh, my website is www.mindsieyepoetry.com, and there are numerous pictures uh, that are sort of reaction shots, and uh, you can see the joy on the faces. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, when we were leading into my segment, there is going to be an upcoming uh, TV segment, which is I'm a little nervous and, and interested to see it myself because I really get in the zone when I'm doing it and I barely remember uh, the fact that they were filming. But um, that's going to be on um, Growing Boulder Media. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't know exactly when it's coming out, probably within the within the next month or so. Um, but I have talked to the photographer. Um, I, I work in so many more places now and doing the one-on-one that um, it might be a little bit easier for the privacy issues to work with families who I, I know most of whom would be overjoyed to to share, you know, what, what has happened with their loved one because, you know, they 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 see. They see what's going on and would love other people to be, um, inspired and moved by it. So we've talked about doing a whole nother, the whole nother photo shoot, which will be, uh, which would be fun. And it's obviously not about me as much as it is about, um, you know, showing people that this doesn't all have to be gloom and and doom. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, wonderful. Well, I don't see anything. Let's see. Wait, we do have something in the chat box here. Uh, Elva has said my mother's maiden name was Beth. Meyer. Um, maybe I'm related to Molly. Molly, uh, mother died of Alzheimer's in 2006. Does Molly use an audio recorder in case she isn't able to take notes um, and talk and tend to participants at the same time? Excellent question. Um, do you that use an audio recorder? No, I don't. And that that's an excellent question. And I, I am pretty good at being able to hear, um, but I like this idea uh, because I think it would be wonderful to capture the voices, to capture the voices, um, to be able to, um, you know, to be able to show the enthusiasm. Uh, you know, something would be lost in not being able to see it, um, which is why I'm kind of excited to see the TV, um, the TV story. But I think that um, I just got an idea about um, recording, not so much to help me with the listening part but to be able to later, you know, listen and to actually show other people that because you'd be able to hear. I'm fairly confident you would be able to to really get a sense of the change and be able to hear the excitement, the enthusiasm, you know, those moments when it's just all of a sudden this pop of memory and you, you can hear it in the voice. You can hear that something just was triggered and then, you know, or imagination, and then, you know, then whatever comes out is is kind of a surprise to them as well. Okay. So yeah, I love that, that idea. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that's a phenomenal idea. Yeah, I think I think so, too. Good one. Good one, Elva. <laughs> any other questions or comments that people have? We, we again, would love to hear um, from you. Otherwise, um, the best way to for people to reach out to you, Molly, is to go to mindseyepoetry.com. Is that correct? Yes, um, or um, to email me directly um, at, and I do have a business email, but I think I'd rather just have it to my personal, which is great. Um, and I'm, I get tons of emails, and I do my best, so be patient. Um, Molly Middleton, M-I-D-D-L-E-T-O-N, Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, no S, 
at gmail.com. Molly Middleton Meyer at gmail.com. Okay. And then you also have a Facebook page too, correct? Yes. I'm glad that you mentioned that. It has been such a joy. I have connected with people all over the world uh, who are just phenomenally supportive and, you know, gives me motivation every day that I'm on the right path. Uh, I've had people share some just incredible stories. And again, you know, I love to be able to, to highlight all of them. I cannot do that, but the ones that are just just incredibly uh, moving and that I think, you know, sort of fit my mission, which is to rewrite dementia. That's sort of my, my, my idea that I really want to be a change maker and, and open this up so that people see that there are techniques we can use and there's ways to meet people who have the disease on their terms. Um, so my Facebook page is an excellent way to, to sort of see what's going on. I post poems that have been written, stories, share, you know, insights that I have, but I also, you know, interact with 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 people who have things to share with me. So um, I'd love to see you on the Facebook page. It's just Mind's Eye Poetry. Okay, great. And I'm just, I'm on the page right now. It's very easy to find. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's lots of different ways to be able to connect with you. And, uh, you know, if somebody wants to have a session with a family member, you know, via Skype, um, or if you want to do something in person. And where are you located out of, Molly? I am in Dallas, um, but, okay. I, but I have I have started to travel a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to having a little bit um, bigger budget, hopefully one day, um, and would love to, you know, travel as much as possible because I really want to be able to bring this to as many people as I can. Um, but I am based out of the Dallas area. I do travel quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been, it's been incredible. One thing that I, I did think of when you were mentioning the family members is I, I've started doing some family, uh, family resident or family, you know, the, with, actually with the person who has dementia. So a facilitation, uh, that, that incorporates the family member also participating with the person who has dementia. And I've even done this in memory care centers where there's, you know, 15 family members and 15 people with dementia. And it is incredible to see how empowering it is and to see the loved one sort of look at their family member with this, with this expression like, see, see, you know, I'm not forgetting mm-hmm. everything. I don't, I do know something. Um, and, you know, and it's just this incredible interaction. So I know as a caregiver how frustrating it was and how I was desperate to find ways to interact that were positive, you know, that weren't me trying to put my mom's clothes back in her closet and being angry that I had to do it every day because she kept taking them out and putting them on her bed. And, and now I think, why in the world? Is that the argument I really needed to have? And, you know, I feel like poetry is just one little thing. There's so many things that we can be doing that would create positive interactions. And, again, we're human and we can't do it, you know, 24 hours a day. But to be able to add a few of those things every day I think would dramatically change the interaction between family members and loved ones or caregivers and the people that they're working with. I I totally, totally agree with you. Molly, is there anything else that you want to add um, before we before we end our conversation here? 
Anything uh, that we like missed? Me to read, would you like me to read four very small little poems that we did recently? Sure, sure. We've, we only have about five minutes left, so yeah, that would be oh, great. I, it will be very quick. It won't even be probably a minute and a half. Uh, okay. I was doing an, doing an autumn facilitation, and the group decided that we wanted to do four poems on all four seasons. So this is winter. Outside my window, children's laughter, snowballs fly through pine-scented air. And this is spring. Tulips and roses bloom in a springtime garden, nature's symphony. And this is summer. Children dip their toes in the cool, trickling stream, then play hide-and-seek. And this is autumn. Sunlight on pumpkins, a farmer's autumn apples spill from his basket. And those are four poems that we did recently. Oh, cool. Just little Very ones. Just, just little, yeah, just little haiku. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, they don't have to be big and long and complicated and stuff. And just well, yes, yeah, some some end up being big and long and complicated, but because we are trying mm-hmm. to do four seasons and just four little snippets of imagery, we we worked on uh, three short lines for each season, and I oh, think they came neat. out beautifully. Very neat. Very fun. Um, well, I appreciate you so much being with us today on the show. And again, people can go to uh, visit Molly at her website, which is mindsipoetry.com, and that's minds with an S. And you can also find her uh, Minds Eye Poetry Facebook page um, if you'd like to reach out to her there as well. I wish you the best luck in the future. I think it's just a fabulous uh, program, and um, I hope to see it expand and, and um, you know, people get what you bring to the table um, to see that engagement and, and the importance of, of that personal connection I think is just so powerful. So. Thank you for your well, work thank that you, you do, Molly. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for the work that you do and uh, for helping to to continue the message that there is, there, is, uh, there is some light and there's things that we can do to make changes. So I appreciate you very much, Lori. Okay. You have a wonderful week, and thanks again for sharing your time with us today, Molly. Of course. My pleasure. Thank you. Again, I just want to remind people, if you're looking for an Alzheimer's Association anywhere in the world, uh, go ahead and check out the um, Alzheimer's Disease International um, organization. They are the association of all the Alzheimer's associations around the world. Uh, The Purple Angel Project, if you want to get behind that, which started over in the U.K., um, is gone globally. It's the new symbol for dementia, and it's just having a far, far far-reaching impact. You can find more about that if you go to the About page on alzheimerspeaks.com. If you're looking for a holistic approach, check out Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They just do a lot of great work um, regarding diet and exercise and and meditation. And then for those of you dealing with either frontal temporal lobe or Lewy Body Association, please don't forget about those particular um, organizations. Uh, There's a lot of great resources out there. Same with the National Aphasia Association if somebody is having a difficult time with speech. Last, I'm going to um, just mention again Alzheimer's Music Connect. I just um, absolutely, I'm not a big Christmas person usually um, this early, but um, 
this album is really, really good. So I'm going to just play Silent Night from their uh, CD, Memories, the Songs in Spirit of Christmas, as we close out here. Or maybe I'm not. It's My computer seems to be spinning, so uh, we'll see what happens here. I guess... If it's playing, it's not playing in my ears. So I'm going to go ahead and just end uh, end our episode here. And again, wish you all a great week. Um, feel free to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Check out all the resources that we have. And, um, you know, we can catch all of our archived uh, shows for both the radio and the Dementia Chats webinars on on our site. So have a blessed week and we will talk next week. Thanks. Bye. Well, I guess my computer's not going to let me end this either. So we'll just stay on here for 60 seconds um, and talk about the um, this month. November is National Alzheimer's Month. It's also National Caregivers Month. And so you're going to see a lot of great articles and information both on Alzheimer's and dementia as well as caregiving um, in general. So please, um, you know, when you see articles and, and posts, if it's on your Facebook or your Google Circle or your LinkedIn, share it with others. Um, it's really an important thing that we do to help others out. Have a blessed week, and we will talk soon. Uh, next week's session will uh, program will be very interesting, I promise.
Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.